Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's give everybody uh, five minutes to join. Thank you. Okay, uh, this is Peter again. Let's just give uh, two more minutes to others to join. I see Isaac, and I think I see I saw Rudy earlier. Uh, welcome. Uh, please hold on tight. I'll be right back with you. Okay, I will get started. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, today, I believe this is June the 26th, year 2022. And uh, I, lose, I have lost the count. I think today is the 10th episode of this show called The Judicial White Privilege, A People's History of American Jurisprudence. Uh, in the past episode, I have, a, I, I have the actually the opportunity to talk to some folks who uh, is uh, doubtful about the existence of white privilege. Uh, that is uh, understandable. Uh, what I did is that I presented to them in a very cordial conversation uh, that uh, there were, I believe, four or five symbols in American, as American landmarks as a proof of uh, white privilege in America. These are landmarks. They are very difficult to erase. In other words, you can have a terrorist flew airplanes into World Trade Tower, but World Trade Towers are American landmarks. You cannot just erase it. These landmarks of, a uh, of a white privilege is reservation, which is for Native Americans, plantation, 
which is for African-Americans, U.S. territories such as Puerto Rico, Philippines, and Guam. These are all landmarks. You cannot erase them out of your memory or out of your maps or out of your history. And the fourth one is uh, Japanese internment camps. All four landmarks are the proof of white privilege in America. White privilege is basically a white majoritarian democracy, meaning the democracy is made of white majorities. Okay, so so with that said, uh, uh, I have covered the two landmarks, basically the uh, the reservation and the plantation in the past episodes. Today, I want to finish off the two other landmarks, which one is the uh, U.S. territories, such as Puerto Rico, and then the uh, Japanese internment camps. I want to, once for all, to clarify what exactly the legal status of these territories and internment camps. Okay, so I'll start with the introduction today. The introduction is titled as Rights of a Man Under the American Flag and Under the Constitution. Basically, today's episode is still focused on, I call it jurisprudential incoherence, meaning the Supreme Court is making incoherent decisions. According to the Constitution, you cannot explain it. They're so inconsistent. Okay, so today's episode is focused on the Supreme Court follows the flag that white man burned. So the introduction, I want to talk about what we talked about before. It's called the rights of a man, which is the founding principle of America. Rights of man is codified in the Bill of Rights. So to burn American flag in a case called Texas versus Johnson, uh, Johnson the Supreme Court has said burning American flag is a symbolic political speech protected under the First Amendment. So the First Amendment rights is an inherent right to all inhabitants of the United States. It just happened to be a white man by the name of Johnson uh, who got so upset with the American policies, both domestically and overseas, that he had a demonstration in which he burned an American flag. So not only a white man can burn an American flag, the white man in the history of the United States can conquer other foreign lands and convert them into territories and into sovereign states. All right, Our foreign wars and our foreign policies is under the under the term called American Empire, are carried out under American flags, not under the Constitution of the United States. So there's a huge distinction between American flag and the Constitution of the United States. The next, uh, basically, the there is a general order of a proceeding where of American imperial expansion. It follow basically for all the history of the United States, it follow this order. The white man will conquer the land that is not his own. And then it will make it a territory. 
And then they will move as many whites into that territory as quickly as possible. Remember, this is the original great replacement theory. And after the white majority is established in those territories, there will be a political process of vote to establish a white majoritarian democracy and convert the territory into a sovereign state. That's the general proceeding of how America expand its territory. Both, you know, you can call it domestically or to the foreign lands. You can imagine how we expand into the West to occupy more native lands. The whole process basically take the land as a territory, move as many whites into that territory, and vote to form a sovereign state and join the union. Okay, so there's a pecking order of this. So the pecking order of this colonized land is basically territories and then make it a colony. That's how we did it, you know, before the independence. And then convert it into sovereign states. Because it's just like Virginia, Pennsylvania, before the American Revolution, they are all their own colonies. They decided to form a sovereign state. It's called the Federated Sovereign State. Along the process, along the process, each native territory is turned into a colony and that apply for a recognition as a sovereign state under the Union. Now, Puerto Rico is somewhat special. Puerto Rico, uh, according to this guy, Jose Trias Monk, M-O-G-E, is his last name. He is the he used to be the uh, chief justice of the Puerto Rican Supreme Court, and he wrote a book talking about the political status of Puerto Rico. And the Puerto Rico, he in his uh, book is considered to be the oldest colony of the United States. This conclusion is important to my theory as well. Puerto Rico being the oldest colony and still the colony of the United States, that just means that America is still a colonial power. The colonialism is still alive and alive and well today. And so is the white privilege. So now let's talk about what about the rights of other inhabitants of these territories that are under the control of American flags. What about the rights of the other in, uh, in, uh, inhabitants of these foreign lands and territories and the sovereign states? So I want to go back the distinction between of the American flag and the Constitution of the United States. Uh, this uh, guy, Donald Trump, is a very braggadocious flag hugger. He famously has a picture of a hugging an American flag. But he's not necessarily a good follower of the uh, Constitution of the, of the United States. Okay? And uh, because, uh, once again, flag is a political symbol, while the Constitution is a supreme law of the land. So with that said, I'm going to talk about the... Uh, First segment, which is the 
U.S. territories. Uh, I have talked about this uh, famous cases uh, called the insular cases, I-N-S-U-L-A-R, the insular cases, are a series of opinions by the U.S. Supreme Court in the 1901 about the status of U.S. territories acquired in the Spanish-American War. Some scholars also include cases regarding territorial status decided up until 1914, and uh, and and others include related cases as late as uh, 1979, and most recently this year another case called the U.S. versus Madero M A D E R O is uh, happened in 2022. All these cases uh, uh, are are related to the constitutional rights of the inhabitants of the U.S. territories. Okay, so here again, uh, you know, I have posted the update. Why, uh, during the American-Spanish War, uh, the U.S. uh, took in Hawaii, uh, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. And people would ask, how come all these three different territories have ended up in different status? Going back to what I said earlier, you take the foreign land as your territory, and then you convert the territory as a colony, and then you make the colony to be a sovereign state. Hawaii became a sovereign state. But but the Philippines is is just a military base as far as... uh, the U.S. is concerned, right? And the Puerto Rico, interestingly, is in between these two. So how could that happen? So as uh, I have, you know, been reminded by Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch in the recent case, that we have to go back to this case, uh, these Supreme Court decisions 120 years ago. It's called the Insular Cases. So I'm going to quote one of the opinions uh, the opinions of one of the justices in one of those insular cases. His last name is Brown, B-R-O-W-N. And the case name is called Downs versus Bidwell, B-O-W-N-S versus Bidwell, B-I-D-W-E-L-L. I'm going to read it and I just interpret it. What, uh, I'm sorry, I saw a comment in the chat room. You are correct. Uh, Martin read that uh, Hawaii is uh, not a Spanish colon- uh, uh, Spanish uh, product of the colonial war. It happened a bit earlier, but it does not change the fact that it's a, a product of American expansion, right? It is the same as the uh, American expansion from the East Coast into the West to have more land, to have more slaves. It's under the same scheme of uh, American-Mexico war to take the taxes, right? So we can have more territories and we have more slaves to to help those territories. So you're correct. Historically, Hawaii is not taken under the Spanish-American war. and uh, But however, the whole the scheme is the same. It's an expansion of America and, uh, you know, being... Uh, a, 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 a colonizer, uh, there's no end. Uh, to, there's just too many land not to conquer. 
right? So, okay, so I want to address that. So coming back to this uh, uh, opinion by this uh, Justice Brown uh, in the case of Gans versus Bidwell, and I'm going to call him now, quote, patriotic and intelligent man may differ widely as to the desirableness of this or that acquisition. But this is solely a political question. I'm going to add my comment. The Supreme Court Justice Brown noticed that this, this, uh, this case is involving acquisition of a land. Again, back to expansion of American uh, colonialism. Second, in this statement, he clearly said patriotic. Patriotic, the word, is associated with a flag, American flag. Patriotic does not necessarily associate with the Constitution of the United States. Okay, so he continued. We can only consider this aspect of the case so far as to say that no construction of the Constitution should be adopted which would prevent Congress from considering each case upon its merits, unless the language of the instrument imperatively demanded. What he's saying, uh, Justice Brown saying, we are only going to consider the constitutionality of whether the Congress can make a law on a case-by-case basis to determine the legality of how we govern these U.S. territories. I'm going to continue what Justice Brown is saying. Quote, a false step in this time, a false step at this time might be fatal to the development of what Chief Justice Marshall called the American empire, end quote. I want to add, emphasize the word, the American empire. The courts, the justice knows this is, this case is all about the American empire. I continue, quote, choice in some cases, the natural gravitation of a small bodies towards large ones in others, the result of a successful war in still others may bring about conditions which would render the annexation of distant possessions desirable. End quote. I'm going to emphasize the word render the annexation of distant possessions desirable. What Justice Brown and the court is considering now, and they are fully aware, this is about annexation over some other foreign lands far, far away, in, as far as the Philippines, which literally is on the other end of the world, of the globe. The court is aware of that. I will continue. Quote, if those possessions are inhabited by alien races, Differing from us in religion, customs, laws, methods of taxation, and the modes of thought, the administration of government and the justice 
according to Anglo-Saxon principles, may for a time be impossible. And the question at once arises whether large concessions are not to be made for a time. That ultimately, our own theory may be carried out, and the blessings of a free government under the Constitution extended to them. I'm going to stop. It is a very long sentence. The interpretation of the sentence is this. We, the Americans, belonging to the Anglo-Saxon people with our own principles, may be so superior that we will eventually consider exporting our principles into these distant possessions of foreign lands. Okay? And uh, even though we know these uh, places such as the Philippines, Puerto Rico, they do not have the blessings of a free government under the Constitution, we may be considered to extend these, quote, democracies, unquote, to these foreign lands. So I'm going to continue, and this is the last one. Here is just Justice Brown's conclusion. Quote, we decline to hold that these are anything in the Constitution to forbid such action. Unquote. Basically, Justice Brown is saying, yes, it is okay for the American expansionists to go out and conquer the foreign land. And they can disregard the protection and the constitution of these inhabitants of the foreign lands. The U.S. government can pretty much do whatever they want in disregard of the constitution of the United States. But the goal is the same. It's a political goal. Patriotic and intelligent men may differ widely, as Justice Brown said, about what we need to be done. However, the court in this case should follow the patriotic spirit of these American expansion. Therefore, the court should not intervene if the U.S. government is going to do certain things to the U.S. territories. The insular cases legalized, it's, this is not just one case. This is a, set, a, a series of cases, as I mentioned earlier. And the insular cases legalized perpetually uncon unconstitutional ruling and the treatment by the U.S. government over the inhabitants on the U.S. territories without a guaranteed rights of man. So I would propo uh, you know, propose this question to, to folks. Um, uh, by the way, I'm going to make a base, uh, both Isaac a speaker and the Martin as a speaker. Uh, you can just uh, you know feel free to uh, to uh, you know to unmute yourself if you want to interrupt me, uh, which I'm totally fine. Okay. So 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 my question to to the listeners here is this: What if Puerto Rico were Ukraine today? 
with the constitutional protection offered to the citizens of the United States or inhabitants of the United States be extended to the Ukraine if we ever send U.S. troops to Ukraine. Again, the flag is the symbol of our politics, the symbol of our foreign policy and military action. If we ever send U.S. troops to Ukraine, shall we respect the Ukrainians to the extent we're going to afford them the same constitutional protection. So that will be the question for the for the audience here. So, uh, so, uh, but you know, the the, the long. So, so I'm going to uh, go further. Is this? In my opinion, the constitutional the constitution will follow the flag. When the subject, when the case is involving non-white and non-Western inhabitants, so okay, it's just let it sink in. In other words, if the U.S. territories is in a non-white, a non-Western society, then the Constitution will have to follow the flag. The flag is above the supreme law of the land. Example will be this in the Philippines. During the Spanish-American War, a boy as young as ten years old is eligible for massacre by the U.S. troops. So let me repeat: during the Spanish-American War in the Philippines, as a matter, of, this could be after the Spanish already give up Philippines when the Filipinos want to have their independence. In the Philippines, a ten-year-old boy is eligible. To be massacred by the U.S. troops. Okay, so so my my observation is is this: the Constitution will submit itself to the flag of the of the American flag to the military. Okay, so going back is that, uh, but if if the inhabitants. If the person in the case in the controversy is a white person, then the flag has to follow the constitution. I said, as I said at the start, in Texas versus Johnson, the Supreme Court decided that it is okay to burn American flag as a symbolic political political speech. The person who burned that flag is a white person. Okay, very fittingly, this white person by the name of Johnson, he actually is very upset with the U.S. foreign policies and domestic policies. He belongs to some kind of a radical group uh, advocating even violence against U.S. government. However, he got away from burning U.S. a U.S. flag. In that case, the flag followed the Constitution. Okay, so so that in a nutshell is uh, is uh, is uh, what I want to cover in regard to the constitutional the rights of man as regard to the inhabitants of the U.S. territories. So with that said, I'm going to move on to the next one. It's about the rights of the wartime inhabitants 
of the United States. Meaning, if there's a war going on, and you live in America, and uh, what about your rights? So, so, so apparently, I'm talking talk about the uh, Japanese internment camp during the Second World War. It is relevant today because, as we know, there's a Ukraine war going on, and uh, we already heard about the、uh, the seizure of a、uh, Russian assets in the Western world. It's at least it's in the discussion, right? So, 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 if there's a war going on, what's your constitutional rights if you still live in America? So, with that said, I'm going to go back to the insular case, to the Puerto Ricans. Again, as I always said, the Supreme Court is very consistent when it comes to the treatment of a non-white, non-Western people. So, in the Puerto Rican cases, Justice Brown did mention, did use the word. Alien races, A L I E N races. Alien races meaning non-Western people. Okay, so the alien races is repeatedly used in the court's decision.、Uh, that is also used to the Japanese Americans, and、uh, it's used for、uh, towards the Chinese Americans because the、uh, Chinese Americans are considered, as I mentioned last time, are considered alien races. Whose loyalty is always with、uh, China, which is absolutely untrue and almost ridiculous. During the Second World War, the,、uh, the 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 concept of alien races is applied to the Japanese Americans in the West Coast states. Remember, in California, in Washington, in Oregon, in the West Coast, these are sovereign states; they are part of the union. Theoretically, the rights of these inhabitants, including the Japanese、uh, person of a Japanese ancestry, should be protected by the Constitution of the United States. As we all know, during the Second World War, there is no martial law declared in the United States. I believe that martial law probably is only declared very briefly during the Civil War. Martial law was not in force during the Second World War, which means the courts are open for business. Which means the Constitution is still the law of the land, not the martial laws. As you will all know, a lot of dictators, military dictators in the in a lot of countries in the other outside the United States, they frequently declare martial law to keep themselves in power, right? But in the United States. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land, unless you declare martial law. We are all governed, including the government, are all governed under the Constitution of the United States. In the Japanese internment camps cases, basically the U.S. citizens of a Japanese ancestry overnight became enemy combatants without a trial. Remember, I always try to find out what exactly is the legal status of these non-Western people, whether they are living in the United States or they are in the U.S. territory. During the Second World War, these Japanese Americans have is instantly become enemy combatants without a trial. The internment camps is not the prison because you will be sent to a prison when you were convicted by a jury of peers of certain crimes. Right, so 
these internment camps are not prison. They are literally a military facility run, you know, to run up enemy combatants. These internment camps are actually the pro, uh, 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 martial law facilities, meaning if you declare martial law, the commander-in-chief, that is the president of the United States, can lock up anyone he so wished to. With, you know, but the problem is this. The internment camp is a, was a martial law facility, but there's no martial law declared. Uh, Peter? Yes, go ahead, Martin. Hi. Uh, thank you, Peter, for inviting me to speak. I just uh, want to actually, I might be pushing back. Uh, the thing is, I, I never believed that the internment camps were legally uh, defined as any any prison or even a martial law territory, confined territory. Uh, because uh, as far as I know, uh, the Constitution of the United States. I, I, full disclosure, I'm not from the United States. I'm calling you from Norway in Europe. Uh, but as far as I know, uh, according to the Constitution of the United States, it doesn't give you the right of free movement. The, the only uh, constitution that I know of that actually does that is the Swedish Constitution that gives you the right of free movement within the realm. Uh, so it wasn't defined as as a prison. Uh, it was more of a sort of like confining my, uh, something that might be threatening to the nation nation as a whole. And yes. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. And that that is sort of why that you could put in place uh, the same type of uh, confinement of movement uh, uh, during the corona uh, and while it was like the COVID-19 uh, that you all went through for two years. I appreciate you bring this up, uh, Martin. Uh, uh, please finish your thoughts. I don't want to cut you short. I will going to uh, uh, have a, a counter argument with what you just said, but please uh, finish up. With your uh, no, that was pretty much it. I want to hear your response to that. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Then I'm going to continue, uh, Martin. Uh, just, just feel free to unmute yourself and join uh, afterwards. Okay. So what Martin bring up is very relevant. Uh, uh, I don't want to come to the COVID uh, because uh, it's like I don't want to because I want to be focused on today's topic. Right. Uh, COVID brought up a lot of uh, controversial things. We know about the U.S. Supreme Court decision about the Roe v. Wade. Right. And uh, but as we know, uh, my body, my choice uh, has two areas. One is about the abortion rights. Another is about the mandated vaccination in America. Right. I don't want to talk about it for that today. So I'm going to let go of the COVID topic that Martin just brought up. But Martin did brought up a good point, say, hey, the U.S. Constitution did not give absolute freedom of a movement of your citizen. Now, I'm going to research on that to have a better counter argument. But I do want to compare to the treatment of a Japanese American during the World War with what happened in Europe, specifically in Nazi Germany at the time. In Nazi Germany, there's also a group of people can be considered alien race. That race 
is the Jews in the Nazi Germany. In Europe, as a matter of fact, Jews is considered to be undesirable race, period, even today. Whether it's a Swedish, Germany, France, whatever, right? Now let's look at how the Jews were treated in Europe and in Nazi Germany. As we know, during the Second World War, there's a many, many Jewish war refugees. They are not just coming out of Nazi Germany, where they are definitely considered to be an alien race to be exterminated. They are also an unwelcome race during the Second World War. What they are, but they are allowed to leave Europe. As a matter of fact, I think there's a uh, my understanding is that there's 37,000 Jewish refugees landed in Shanghai, China. Okay? And uh, this is a famous uh, Harvard Law professor, Lawrence Tribe, which I talked about in the prior episode. He actually was, uh, he's a Jewish person. Uh, his parents is from Hungary, and he himself was uh, born in Shanghai, China. So, Again, I'm trying to focus on exactly what should be the legal status of these Japanese Americans, even if they could be considered potential enemy combatants. I would propose at the minimum under the, you know, today's UN United Nations Human Rights Charter, Charter, they should be considered war refugees. In other words, they should be given a free path to a third country. Like what uh, the European countries did during the Second World War. Not every country round up Jews and put them in a concentration camp solely because Jews were considered at least an undesirable race in Europe. Right? So I want to, the rights of the wartime inhabitants of the United States, at the minimum, here's my thing, should follow the United Nations charters in the event the U.S. Constitution does not protect, does not give them the freedom of movement. By the way, Barton, like I said, I disagree, because I, but I'm going to research about that. And you have said about a Swedish constitution. I want to research on that. So at the minimum, like I said, it's a wartime inhabitants of a country during a war, that being Ukraine, being Russia, okay, being Vietnam during the Vietnam War, Afghanistan, Iraq. These people, these civilians, they don't want to get involved. Even today, you ask average Ukrainian or Russians, they hate the war. They don't want to get involved. They just get, want to get out of their country. They want to find a peaceful place to live. Should they be allowed to escape the war zone? Here, the irony of the, uh, I'll, I'll let, 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 uh, let, let, let you speak, uh, Martin. Uh, let me finish the Japanese uh, pieces that. You know what happened to the Japanese Americans? Here's the irony, right? This famous Japanese American by the name George Takei, uh, uh, T-A-K-E-I. He was a internment camp resident 
And here is what he said. He said, just basically imagine this. Every day, these children will rise up before the class, pledge allegiance to an American flag while being pointed with a machine gun from a watchtower. Again, this is the difference between the American flag and the American constitution. Which one do you follow? My question will be, did you pledge the con pledge of, uh, uh, of allegiance to American flag because a machine gun is pointed at you? Well, uh, it worse. Some Japanese, as you know, because they don't want to be interned, so they volunteered to join the army, to join the military, to prove their loyalty, loyalty to the United States. But my, my question will be again is that what's the requirement under the law of the United States that you have to prove your loyalty, to prove that you are not an enemy combatant, to prove you are not a criminal? The Constitution of the United States does not require anyone to self-incriminate. Like I said earlier, under the rights of men, under the founding principle of the United States, the rights of men is inherent. It's not for the government. The government have to show the evidence these people are enemy combatants, and the government has none. So, like I said, there is a minimum human rights. Like during a war, if you live in a country involving the war, you should be allowed to declare yourself a war refugee meaning that you don't want to get involved with either sides. You're out of there. Okay? So that's what I want to uh, address, at least partially, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, what Martin has said. And uh, so to me, the, con uh, the internment camp is a race-based martial law facilities. It is almost the same instrument of the Nazi Germany's concentration camp of Jews. But at a minimum, as we know, some Jews, quite a number of them, was able to get out of the Nazi Germany and Europe as war refugees, but the Japanese Americans could not. So that is my, my talk about the, the non-Western inhabitants living in the United States. What's their rights if there's a war broken? So, so with that said, uh, Martin, you want to join and you want any comments? Uh, yeah, uh, there were so many things <laughs> there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, this show is going to have an endless episode. First of all, you know, the Supreme Court of the United States really gave me uh, so many ammunitions to attack intellectually the court system in this country. This, the United States is totally breaking apart, but no, because no, very, very few people respect the law. So go ahead, Martin. I didn't mean to cut you short. No, no worries. Uh, well, since since you are concentrating about uh, the law and and how it's interpreted, you have to always keep in mind that law is actually a logical exercise to act, uh, try to get your will and for uh, force that will up, upon others. Uh, and we have a great example here in Norway uh, for that uh, because the uh, 
during the last century, uh, you had this uh, author who actually made this uh, play, a uh, theater play. It's called uh, Rasmus Montanus. Uh, and uh, it's about a boy who uh, travels from the countryside in Norway to the Danish capital, which was also the Norwegian capital at the time, and uh, goes to university. And the first of his whole, his whole village that actually goes to university. When he goes to university, he learns the, the method of logic. And when he comes back and speaks to his mom, he, through logic, he makes his mom into a stone. And <laughs> Go ahead. And, yes, I'm listening. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. So, and that is sort of trying to, like, and that was sort of during our renaissance, romantic renaissance here in Norway, where we were trying to find our identity and trying to learn about the world at the same time. And that was our that author's way to inform people that, uh, that there are things out there that can be used in many ways, but it doesn't make it real. And I believe law is one of those things uh, because, uh, first of all, you mentioned uh, internment camps and the Nazis, how they treated the Jews. One anecdotal uh, thing I could mention there is that actually Hitler sent uh, scholars over to U.S. to learn how to actually interpret the, uh, their own constitution in Germany in a way that they could remove some of those rights of the Jews. Because Yes, I heard about it. Yes, Martin. Place. Thank you. Yes, I, I recently I learned about it. I, because I learned a lot by doing the show. Because, uh, sorry, go, uh, uh, Hitler actually believed the way we did it to the blacks in America is just exactly. so ingenious. Like He's like, this is the best thing ever happened as far as the governing people is concerned, right? So, but go ahead. Yes, Martin. Which pretty much proves you exactly what, what I just said, that law is just a, a logical exercise to enforce your will. And so, so how you, and logic has its flaws, as, as that Rasmus Montanus play in Norway actually exemplifies, that you can turn in a person into a rock, but that doesn't make that person a rock. Uh, you can do it through logic, but it doesn't re become real because logic, logically you have come to that conclusion. Yes. So, be, uh, well, my interpretation about this mother was turned into a rock by her son uh, because uh, her son is explaining logic to her mom. has a different meaning saying, basically saying, oh, you should not so dryly and so robotically follow logic, which will, you know, basically take the livelihood out of you, right? So this is my interpretation of that. And uh, yes, math can be very boring. Physics can be very boring. You're correct, right? Because I talk about this guy, Lawrence Tribe, uh, in a prior episode. He was uh, into the mathematics uh, in the Harvard University before he turned his uh, attention to law because he wanted, you know, the jurisprudence, the word jurisprudence itself is about the logic philosophy of the law, right? Mm -hmm. So that's first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is this, because this actually brought to my uh, conclusion, which I'm going to address one of the points you just made, Martin. So because of the, I call it jurisprudential incoherence, 
basically logically these things doesn't make sense but there is a consistent goal there is a there has been a consistent logic among all these incoherent decisions by the US Supreme Court okay which I'm going to going to talk touch to that and you you're more than welcome to to comment so i'm going to go to the conclusion now the american flag is a military symbol in foreign lands domestically an american flag is no more than a political symbol american flag does not protect your rights america uh, you know you can imagine the confederate flags during civil war that's not a symbol of your rights not for the slaves it's a symbol of confederate flags or symbol for slave owners as we all know now that uh, the uh, native americans their children were rounded up by the us government into army camps they called the indian schools these are children they are taken away under american flags and put under the army camps guarded by military personnel they are under american flags the vietnam war draft which everybody hates including the white people hates a vietnam war draft is mandatory under the american flags right the, the flag is not the supreme law of the land it never conveyed justice for all inhabitants under the flag but you can tell the why on the tv why those politicians they love to wear a, a flag lapel or, or or especially trump you know trump has this famous picture when he was uh, hugging an american flag it's a form of a virtual signaling signaling basically they just show hey i'm patriotic you have to believe everything i said as a politician of course you know they're lying why they're lying because they're politicians that's what they do now let's talk about the courts then why the courts are so incoherent in their decision when regards to the american flag and the rights of all inhabitants under the american flag my explanation is that as professor lawrence tribe has said the judges are politicians in robes the judges are politicians like martin has said earlier logic can be boring but the my point is this when the these supreme court decisions are so illogical it represent a political agenda right so the, basically what i'm saying the judges are truly politicians so uh, i remember during the uh this a uh, huge controversy uh before the american civil war in the nebraska territory back then nebraska is not even a state yet there is a battle between the free state immigrants and the slave owning state immigrants they deciding whether nebraska should be a slave owning state or free state during those battles including the military one violent battles each side enact constitution of a nebraska and one of the activists i don't recall which side this guy is on he said he famously he famously said this law is just a tool 
for us and for the others. So, so that is a very you know profound because uh, Lawrence Tribe, Professor Lawrence Tribe, says the same thing. Basically, the judges are politicians in robes. These white Western, mostly Anglo-Saxon justices, they themselves are deep in the racial politics of America. Because I have said in the past, America is very special in this. America was a born multiracial society. And it imported a law, legal system from England, which is a single race society. Therefore, it is very natural and reasonable for me to say, all the judges and justices since the beginning of America, they are already deep in the racial politics of America. Now I'm going to, you know, uh, I have a long conclusion, so I'm going to go on with the next one. Puerto Rico as a U.S. territory is an annexation without constitutional representation. Remember taxation without representation? That's the slogan of American Revolution. But Puerto Rico today is a U.S. territory. It's annexed land without constitutional representation. I'm going to go why. I'm going to tell you why Puerto Rico has never become a U.S. state. The internment camps are martial law facilities without declaring a martial law. In both political situations, the Supreme Court followed the politics and abandoned the Constitution, both of them. In the Japanese internment camp, the Korematsu case, basically the court said it's a military order the court has to follow. The great, you know, I consider him the greatest dissenter. Uh, I think the justice, uh, uh, now I forgot about his name, I'm sorry, uh, Jackson, that he said, he asked the question, is the court a tool of a military policy? He asked a very simple question, which is represented here too. Does the court follow the flag or follow the constitution? The case of a jurisprudential incoherence, as I have talked about since the reservation, plantation, U.S. territory, and the internment camps, regardless of whoever the individual justice concurred or dissented, regardless, they all have a coherent goal. A group of a few white Anglo-Saxon justices acting as an instrument of injustice, as Thomas Paine predicted, deprived constitutional rights and the privileges of other men. Talking about men, rights of men. There's the rights of other men. They literally stripped the rights of other men. Why did Hawaii, Alaska become states, but not Puerto Rico, the Philippines, and the Guam? The white privilege theory that I propose can explain it all. The white Anglo-Saxon knows then and now, today, and 100 years ago, 200 years ago, under the Constitution of the United States, these three territories would be entitled to sending to Washington, D.C., two senators from each territory, with an unknown number of House representatives from each territory. 
This is by the Constitution. Think about two senators from the, the Philippines, from the Guam, from Puerto Rico. That is a direct threat to the white majoritarian rule in three branches of the American democracy. The white privilege knows about this. The U.S. Supreme Court knows all the time about this. This is a purely political calculation. It's not a legal calculation. It's a political reasoning. The U.S. government will not allow. Remember what I said. The order, the general order of a conquering foreign land is this. Invade, convert it into a territory, move as many white residents there as quickly as possible, as many as possible. Therefore, they can have a vote to form a sovereign state. But these things cannot happen to Puerto Rico, the Philippines, and the Guam. Therefore, these territories will never become a sovereign state of the United States. And therefore, these people, the inhabitants of these territories, will never enjoy the rights and privileges under the Constitution of the United States. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Martin. Yes, go ahead. Uh, I I just I have to say I, I disagree. I I don't believe this is. Uh, I believe there's a racial component in American history from the start. Uh, I don't disagree with that. However, uh, believing that all of this uh, direction that U.S. has taken from the start is solely based on race, I believe is wrong. Because I believe it's this culture that has uh, guided the U.S. towards this behavior. And the mm -hmm. best, best example I can think of is Liberia. Because Liberia was a, a piece of uh, African uh, continent yes. that was bought yes. by Americans. Mm -hmm. So... African Americans who were enslaved could uh, get their own land that they could rule over uh, after the uh, the Civil War, and what you saw happening there was that you had these Americans, even though they were black, they were Americans with American culture, even though they actually were at the receiving end of the bad side of that culture before they left the U.S. They were still Americans. And when they took that culture with them to Africa, they ended up enslaving the local inhabitants of that piece of land that they inherited from U.S. Great point. Uh, so I don't mean to cut you short, but Martin, you're more than welcome to join in the future episodes of that, right? I want to respond to that. Uh, as uh, Martin probably see, I always want to focus only in the domestic matters in this show, being because we know the Constitution is the supreme law of the land domestically. I don't want to talk about, uh, I try to limit my discussion to cover such hot topics such as the Ukraine war or Liberia, which is, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and uh, I, there's a, a pan-Africanism 
these days, right? We know about the global south and all that. All these topics are super interesting, super important. Uh, it's only because the U.S. Supreme Court, especially recently, have given me so many emanations to attack intellectually the court. I don't want to branch out to that way, which I will discuss that uh, in a separate way. Second is this, you have mentioned earlier, which I wa do want to make uh, clarify, that uh, uh, about the potential extreme views about the, the history of the United States. I'm aware of that. As a matter of fact, in the prior episode, I talk a great deal about the founding fathers of this country, which I, to whom I, I have a highest respect. I have used the example of this. We all know about this famous uh, uh, initiative called the 1619 Project by the New York Times. I actually disagree with the 1619 Project, the conclusion they're making. Because here's my thing. You, I follow the judicial records. I follow the historic records. These are the words written by the justice. These are the historic records recorded in the Congress, in the executive branch. I cannot change that. I will not change that. It will be an intellectual dishonesty to change that. The 1619 Project seems to me believe that the slavery started in 1619. That is so not true. In my show, I have emphasized the slavery started in 1640, 20 years after. Most important is this. The 1619 Project blamed the founding fathers for slavery. I strongly disagree. The founding father was not even born in 1640 when the first Africans was sentenced to be a slave by a court. In other words, it's only after a hundred and uh, say, is a hundred and forty years, a hundred and thirty years later, is the Declaration of Independence. The slavery is the common practice already. So I will give you an example. If in if in sixteen forty, when John Punch was sentenced to be a slave, where if when at that time a man was allowed to marry multiple wives. By the way, that is a practice in a lot of countries and cultures even today, legally. If the, if the law or the practice at 1640 is that the man can marry multiple wives, I can guarantee you in the Constitution of the United States, when during uh, in the American Revolution, the founding fathers will say it's within the rights of a man to marry multiple wives. Can you blame them solely? Be, you know, so basically what I'm saying is that you cannot blame the founding fathers to be solely responsible for slavery because they will enjoy the benefit of some common practice if such, such as marrying multiple wives, right? So go ahead. Oh, is this Lance? Well, welcome Lance, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, as far as the slavery thing. I don't know if this is what you're saying. I don't want to pretend, you know, suggest that. But I hear people all the time on the right, especially. Uh, and I'm not putting you on the right. I'm just saying. And I was surprised. I was just disappointed that Brianna Joy Gray, who has a, a law degree, she didn't know this and didn't push back on uh, uh, what's his name there, uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, when she had an interview with him, saying. Well, you know, like you're saying, slavery was a thing then. Everybody did slavery, and America was the first to get rid of it. No, 
We were the last. Okay, the yes. last. <laughs> I know, last. I, I know you're a smart man based on what I heard you in those uh, uh, different uh, calling shows. You're great. Like I told you, you should have your own show. You know, you, I, I'm trying. I'm trying. I tried to start a show last night. I couldn't, I couldn't even start the show because I don't know how to do tech. But yeah, briefly, let, let, just, let me, to let you go let, back to your point. Yes. But let like, me respond to you on that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, go I'll ahead, just throw one little, one little thing in more. Just that Portugal, oddly, Portugal, they were the king of trade, slave trade. The first ones to yeah, do it on more slaves in Brazil mm-hmm. than anyone. And they eliminated it in its entirety in 1848. Actually, Portugal eliminated slavery before anyone else. I lo- uh, yes, uh, Rance, uh So I want to, you, you brought up such a great point. I don't have an opportunity to say anything until today when you brought up. First of all, you can tell I'm not left or right. I, in my introduction, I'm a strictly a transcendentalist, meaning I transcend politics. I transcend race, culture. I will not say things because I'm a Chinese, or I'm American, or I'm a political left or political right. Going back to what Lance just said, what the left is doing these days in America is pathetic, beyond pathetic. They, for the first time, show that the left are intellectually inferior. They absolutely have no answer to the nonsense brought up from the other side. I would like to see a vibrant intellectual debate on a lot of things we're doing. Like I said earlier, you know, this abortion thing versus the uh, uh, mandated vaccination it's a topic. It's a very good topic, regardless what what side you're on. So, so Lance, again, totally agree with you. Those uh, uh, Brianna Gray, uh, you name it, anyone, all, all the left left uh, leftists, they have no clue. They have absolutely no clue. The abortion, which uh, uh, the Dobbs versus Jackson, I'm going to have at least five different episodes just on this Dobbs versus Jackson, which overturning Roe v. Wade. There's a lot of work to be done. What I'm going to do is literally follow the conservative approach to say, hey, the decision is totally profoundly wrong. So I will, Lance, I will give you a, a hint, okay? Roe v. Wade was decided by five conservative justices appointed by Republican. Go back to the history. Roe v. Wade itself is determined by Five Republican justices. Are those five justices less Christian? Are those five Republican appointed justices less conservative? No, they're not. They were not. So just give you a hint. Okay. So there's a lot to be done in that regard. Like I said already, the Dobbs versus Jackson is uh, so bad. I equate that as a Dred Scott case. The Dred Scott case is one of the infamous bad decisions made by the U.S. Supreme Court. Like I have said, the, uh, you know, uh, so, so again, you know, again, as you show, I'm actually very critical. I'm not taking an extreme view on things. I'm very critical of a 1619 project for the fact that you cannot alter the historic records. Last, in the last episode, I read out a plate in Jamestown, uh, uh, Jamestown, Virginia. 
memorizing the first arrival of Africans in America. In that play itself, it said, by the way, this is from the uh, 1619 project related the website. They said, these Africans are considered indentured laborers. And we all know some of them actually were freed after they serve up their term as indentured labor. So slavery did not start in 1619. Okay, you cannot be dishonest. When the left become dishonest, you're going to lose, period. Okay, so that is that. So I hope I answered Martin's question is that whether I'm taking an extreme view in, in this case, uh, you know, in, in, in this show. No, I don't. I'm just laying out all these uh, original judicial records, court decisions, words written down by the justice themselves. Okay. So, so let me, uh, so again, I, I really appreciate this uh, lively discussion. And uh, uh, again, Lance, you're always welcome. The, uh, okay. So I'm going to, okay. I'm going to continue. If the U.S. courts continue to mistreat the tribal nations of the Native Americans, the inhabitants of U.S. territories, and then the non-Western inhabitants of the sovereign state of ancestral ties other than white Western Anglo-Saxon origins, then these mistreated inhabitants must be under the protection of the Articles of Human Rights of the United Nations. That's my opinion. Like going back to what Martin has said, I truly believe if there's a war break out between Russia and the U.S., the Russian inhabitants of the United States, they should be treated at the minimum to be a war refugee. Because we know using this established president in Korematsu, the U.S. government can lock these people up, taking away their properties and all that. But at least they should not Can be incarcerated. Sure, Lance. You know, it's Go interesting ahead, because I've become an anti-Islamist because I'm a lefty, left of Bernie Sanders on a good day. Uh, I'm not a Marxist, but I'm, I'm pretty far away. But I'm learning in my, in my, in my old age here. All the good ideas are not six pronouns. I don't mean the weird left, just the regular, what I consider progressive, what I thought were progressive values. Just two quick examples, Peter. I'll let you go back to your talking about what you're talking about. But it's related, of course, is that, uh, you know, as far as this idea that uh, about property rights. Okay, so the conservative, it's the conservative court. I think you go back to Rehnquist after being rejected for years of uh, uh, treaties that were broken 200 years ago. Go away, said the liberal or neutral court. Then it was a conservative Rehnquist court. It got more and more conservative, and they started winning these cases. If you look at it, it's not a surprise, right? We want to protect property, which means white male property owners. Property is rules. You know, you have a debt, and you're poor. You pay that debt. You, you know, we won't put you in debtor's prison, but we're going to make you homeless if you don't pay that debt. Debt's are sacred. Property, sacred. So it's not a surprise <laughs> that they were, at least, they were at least consistent. And they said, yes, if it's a 200-year-old treaty, and you broke that treaty, you, you lose. And the thing about the Iroquois that was different, they were much smarter and much more savvy than a lot of politically than a lot of the other tribes. They just were, you know, they're not better, but they were politically very savvy. And they said, no, we're not going to have a treaty that says forever and ever. They signed treaties that said for the next 200 years. So they had receipts. 
Not just a general, you ripped us off, but specific. And they own the town of Salamag. Okay, my point is that's a very conservative point of view. Also, Kilo, which said you could take a person's house to build a high rise for more taxes. You don't have to be for a highway or something for the public good. Just for the public coffers, you could take this guy's house, give him market value so you could put a high rise and get more taxes. That was a 7-2 decision. All of the liberal justices voted in favor of it. OK, and I think that you better off if you, if you want to do reparations using the Indian uh, tri, uh, trials or, well, you know, court cases, it would be this court would be more likely to say yes to reparations. I don't expect them to do it. No, I don't. But philosophically, it, this court would be more likely to per, say reparations are, are OK uh, than than a liberal court. So I just want to throw that in there about how things aren't always what you seem progressive. Maybe progressive don't always have the best idea, even if you want a progressive world. You know, Lance, again, you have uh, just said what I'm going to do as an end game of this show is actually the topic of whether the reparation can be legally approved and executed. Okay. Once again, these left people, uh, these people in the left, they are just, they have shown such an inferiority on their intelli intelligence and the intellect that they just keep pounding the table like a little child. I want lunch. I want reparation. But how? Why? What justify that? They will never get into that. But that is my actually the end game topic I want to talk about, about reparation in America. Okay. But again, this is going to be pretty far down the road because there's so many cases that I will, I'm going to go over that are just, you know, they themselves is a fantastic topic. So, okay. Once again, thank you for the, all the participation. Let me finish off. Uh, again, this today's show is about American flag, American constitution. Whether the constitution follow the flag or vice versa. I want to make it a more succinct is that flag represent American militarism. Anywhere there's a flag, there will be an army. Flag is associated with the military power. The constitution represent Law and justice. They're two different things. Let Trump hug that American flag as much as he wanted. Let him have sex with American flag. I don't give a flying jack. I'm going to insist the Constitution as the supreme law of the land. Without following the Constitution, as, as, as it had happened in, during the, before the Civil War, Everybody will carry their own damn flags, Confederate flags, Union flags, whatever flag. They're going to use guns to shoot each other. That's the difference between American flag and American constitution. Korematsu is where the court followed the military orders. In more recent event, if the Trump is not happy with the election results in 2020, he could have used a military order. He could have used a martial law, as his legal advisor has told him, to declare martial law, seize the voting machine, and ask everybody to gather around his American flag, right? To make America great again by declaring martial law, and he's the winner, and the election otherwise would have been stolen, right? So when the U.S. invaded Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit 
out of my reservation here. The U.S. government knew full well that its intention was never to bring American democracy to a foreign territory. Its goal is to disregard rights of man, the rights of the inhabitants of those territories. It remained a continued practice of colonialism in its purest and simplest form. Again, this Supreme Court Justice of the Puerto Rico has said, Puerto Rico is the oldest colony of the United States. Case, uh, cases after cases prove that jurisprudential incoherence demonstrated by the U.S. Supreme Court is the true color and the character of the courts. It's the true character of the judicial white privilege. It's seemingly incoherent decisions and opinions, both on and off the court, supports a consistently coherent governmental goal, a white majoritarian rule over non-white, non-Western inhabitants. No matter where these non-white, non-Western people live, on a reservation, on a plantation, on a territory, or in a sovereign state. For that reason, I just believe this judicial white privilege must be eradicated. Otherwise, the justice would never prevail. So that is pretty much what I want to say today. Uh, any comments, Martin? Uh, yeah, uh, I, as I said earlier, <laughs> there was so many subjects you touched on. Uh, each of them very interesting and uh, should be explored in depth uh, in their own rights. But uh, I, I believe uh, what I would add on is that if anybody actually wants to actually really understand the American Constitution and the origins of the U- uh, United States as an independent country, uh, should definitely look into works of John Locke. Uh, it was a huge inspi- inspiration for the founding fathers, uh, his work, uh, John Locke's works, uh, to really understand where all these rights come from, uh, even the more racist rights, as you have pointed out, that uh, American history has had through its all of its history up until pretty much Iraq War, as you mentioned. Uh, because it was the foundation of these kind of rights of the civil uh, was pretty much founded by John Locke and even even how to conquer land from the the uncivilized uh, as John Locke. Yes, said. yes. You know what, Martin? I, it's amazing that you live in uh, Norway, right? And you actually know about John Locke, L-O-K. CKE, is that what you're talking about? That's right. Right? I mean, it's amazing that you actually know. I'll tell you this, 99.9% of Americans never know the name John Locke. It amazes me. I will tell you, guess who does not know John Locke's name? Justice Samuel Alito and the four <laughs> other justices. Seriously, have they, they talk about a, a British... Uh, uh, guy, I forgot his name, Matthew, whatever, when they talk about this uh, Roe v. Way overturning thing, right? It's amazing. They have never bring up a John Locke. So I'm not going to expand today's topic because you're absolutely right, Martin. I, I, again, you're totally uh, into this, apparently. I, I hope you are a law student. And uh, this John Locke has a profound impact. John, just basically, Thomas Paine 
who wrote about rights of man, is the popular version of a John Locke. John Locke is the f- most famous influential scholar of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of Americans does not even know who this guy is. So I, I'm just going to stop there because uh, you're correct, uh, uh, Martin. Yeah, I, I mean, you, I will be talk a lot about John Locke when I'm going to do the uh, episodes regarding the uh, uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned. Uh, as a matter of fact, like I said, uh, the I uh, Jackson, said, Peter. Sure, sure, sure. Let's go ahead. Go ahead, guys. You're on. Thanks. We're losing you. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, what I was answering uh, on another show uh, about uh, these guys that were so Christian and they just, this precious life, this fetus, we must protect, protect it because life is so precious. You know, that was their argument, you know, big time. Okay. Let's, let's, let's say that that's okay to bring that in. Yeah. Right. So here's my question. mm -hmm. Right. No, if I could just say, yeah. So, So my question to them is, here's the question I have. What is the motive of the justices to do Roe v. Wade and overturn it? Okay, the sixth conservative. Now, that's the question, right? His answer is precious life. So here's the thing I said to him briefly. I said, first of all, okay, two things. I'll just mention two of them. There's all there's a whole long list. Number one, since World War Two, the last declared war. Since the end of World War Two, I said, I said to him, do a count with me and do a running count in your head. How many people before we entered, before we invaded, how many of these countries, uh, killed Americans? North Korea, uh, Korea slash China, Vietnam, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Iraq the first time around, Iraq the second time around, Yemen, Somalia, all over Africa, a hundred bases, 150 bases around the world. How many Americans were killed? Oh, and let's go to Russia now, who were, were, were fighting against in Ukraine. They only sacrificed 30 million of their people in World War II. That's a pretty staunch ally, if you ask me. That wasn't our friend, yes, yeah. but they put up <laughs> yeah, 30 million saying. people to fight Hitler. Okay, that's Russia. Yeah. So what I, my question is, how many Americans, how, just one quick point, the other point. Okay, so how many Americans were killed by, by these countries before we entered? The answer is zero. We killed millions, but we say it. It's okay, number one. And by the way, this isn't something that the Supreme Court doesn't opine on. They opine and make down, send down decisions about war crimes, about Guantanamo, about habeas corpus. So they've already opined that no, this is okay for national security. So those lives are okay. Here's the other one. May 25th, go look it up. Two men in Arizona, known to be, known to be innocent. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't go to this special uh, death penalty court and without bringing up stuff that was already brought up. The whole point of the law of the special court is you got to bring new stuff up if you had tr- crappy representation. So the Supreme Court, all those wars are OK as far as this precious life of them that Americans so, so, so keen on protecting. OK, and innocent, innocent men, can, grown men, innocent men can be put to jail. I asked the question, what's their motive to say? No, that's OK. Innocent people can be uh, executed, but we have to protect that fetus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So why? Sorry. The only uh, answer well, is Christian white. Yes. Let's, uh, Christian actually, white. The, Christian you, white. You, you, you the only answer. Yes. Well, again, once again, it's called the uh, Western Anglo-Saxon principle in our constitution. Do they? You know, the, Western uh, also means Christian. 
right? So you, you understand that, uh, Lance. So uh, your connection is not uh, the greatest, but, uh, but uh, I'm glad most of your uh, com uh, comments uh, are not questions, so I'm not going to answer that. But I do see JR ask some questions, so I do want to respond to him in the comment section. JR asks, what's your thoughts on Clarence Thomas? Uh, first of all, in my judicial white privilege, the white privilege uh, definition all by itself is that uh, I already said the white privilege is also carried out by the proxies of the white majority. Okay, so you will know during the Vietnam War, there's uh, troops from India in Vietnam, right? There's uh, black slave owners before the Civil War. Right, we know that there were people who who there were racial minorities who benefited from the colonialism, right? There's a lot of uh, slave uh, hunters in Africa. We know that, right? So whether Clarence Thomas belongs to this group I call the proxies of the white privilege, you know, white majority, I will have to uh, dive into uh, his uh, records. And to have a affirmative, uh, you know, affirmative uh, answer. I'll tell you for this book project, I'm going to travel to Alabama, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, to dig into the history of a particular judge. And I also have to uh, travel to Memphis, Tennessee, to dig out uh, to dig out a, a records of a particular judge, a federal court judge, the Alabama one is a state court judge. Okay, because I want to know. What's this guy's, uh, you know, records in, in other areas? Then I will say, then I can attack again intellectually. I don't do violent things to attack intellectually these judges who literally hand out racial injustice. Okay. So that's Terrence, Clarence Thomas question. The second uh, question, uh, that, uh, also, uh, J, oh, oh, JR also mentioned the Warren Court was great. Uh, you know, you are correct. And this is what the Lawrence tribe uh, has said. The Harvard law professor, well-respected uh, scholar, actually, was, Lawrence tribe was invited recently in by the White House to discuss the impact of a reversal of Roe v. Wade. Lawrence tribe basically said the same thing. He believed the Warren's court, Warren court, is the only U.S. Supreme Court where the weak was being protected. By the courts, not not the other way around. Now, however, I do I do want to tell you, give you a heads up, uh, Jr. Is that this will be one of the episodes that I'll be working on? Is that I owe I find out uh, once again, even though I try to get away from the international discussions, what I did find out is this: when the U.S. Supreme Court made the right decision, I find out they actually they are politically influenced by international affairs. So let me repeat, when, what I find out is this, when the US Supreme Court actually made a right decision, I believe their decision, their opinion is actually influenced by the international affairs. So I will give you a hint. Daniel Ellsberg stole the Pentagon paper, which is clearly with no fuss about it, with no ambiguity, a national security material. He gave it to the press. He was prosecuted like a Julian Assange under the same statute. 
How come the U.S. Supreme Court sided with Daniel Ellsberg, not following the Korematsu decision, saying the president have a huge responsibility to carry out a successfully a foreign war called the Vietnam War? How dare you steal these materials and lay it out? How come the court then let go Daniel Ellsberg? And I have a theory. And uh, so uh, you know, I will use that uh, as a tease, and uh, which you know, I will uh, be only because I have not done enough research on that yet. And I'll tell you, it is influenced by the international situation about the U.S. war in Vietnam. Okay, so once again, that actually does not prove that court is just. It's just another proof that the Supreme Court is influenced heavily by the politics, whether domestically or internationally. All right. So with that said, uh, that's all I have to share. Uh, I'm checking any other callers. Nope. So Martin and Lance, uh, any other comments? No, just wanted to thank you for sharing your space. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Oh, no problem. Uh, Rudy wants to speak. I'm just making him a caller. Rudy, feel free to speak up. Hey, how you doing, Peter? Good, good, Rudy. Yes, I know. I uh, appreciate you following me from the very uh, early on in my episodes. Appreciate it. Definitely, man. I've Anytime I've heard you say anything, I've thought it's really sort of relevant. And, you know, oftentimes I think you take us out of the lens, this sort of tiny lens we're looking into and make us look at sort of the sky, you know, and look at the bigger yes. picture. Yes, yes, that's what I want to do. Uh, I, I call myself a transcendentalist because uh, I transcend race, culture, politics. You know, I want to look at things as if I'm like 35,000 uh, feet above the sky and looking what's going on in the human society, especially America. Go ahead. You know, it's it's limiting in if you want to like bring effect at times to look at it, it that way right but i do find that we're so unbalanced in that we have so many people that look at the micro and not enough people that look at the macro that i think it is it's a nice thing to have you looking at the macro i truly appreciate it i was so thirsty after some uh again i'm not a journalist by trade and I'm in uh, I'm in technology area as a profession, but I enjoy the fact that I can, you know, do this hobby thing to to you know to look at the you know this uh, social development you know from a you know again as a, from a totally outside the box perspective. I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, ultimately, it, and one has to you know we have to have a certain amount of looking at it that way. Um, I've had this sort of idea stuck in my head since I heard Eduardo Galeano speak of a compliment that he received from somebody who said that basically Galeano, in the way that he writes or the way that he speaks, it seems as if he's both got like one eye on a microscope and then the other one on a telescope. And, you know, it's, it's hard to find that balance to be both. How do you split yourself to be looking at it as if an alien and at the same time, you know, because people are fed by the stuff that is closer to them. You know, it's the issue is a global issue, 
But the thing the anime people oftentimes it is it's local stuff. Like how do you connect these two? Yes, absolutely. I want to make sure that、uh, you all understand that I'm a uh, uh, ultimately a optimistic person.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I still strongly believe that America is the greatest country in the entire world,、mm. and the fact I'm doing this is just prove that. But at the same time, I also believe, you know, America can be great again by reparation to the Native Americans,、mm-hmm. by reparation to the African Americans. Uh, you know, with a legally uh, uh, feasible uh, uh, ways, right? And uh, uh, right, and、uh, because I do believe America was born a multiracial society,、mm. and I have not seen any religion in the, in this country that's going to prevent us to become a racially harmonic society. I truly believe it's doable, and、uh, and I want to do this just because I believe. The courts, the justice system, is the gatekeeper of justice and peace. The chaos today is totally because the courts allow the political forces running amok, out of control, from both sides. I've, you know, so, I've, I've been asking、mm-hmm. this question, and I, maybe you're the guy to answer this, right?、Um, because how I see it is. It's a it's a unipolar part. It's a it's we just got one party in the United States. It's the toxic mix of Democrats and Republicans and whoever that has been there in D.C. for a long time, you know. And these guys are responsible. They work in ways, in by you know by bipartisan ways to make the rich richer, no matter who the president is and such. Um, so there's a program that they are running. There's a, a goal at some point. In many ways, it's a short-term. Goal. It's there's a lot of contradictions, sure, but generally, it's sort of stable enough. You know, they they're fine going from the Bushes to the Clintons to the Obamas. They're fine. We're doing that. They didn't like Trump so much, but they still. You know, why is it that when so much is failing? When the project is most in danger, the Supreme Court decides not to play its part in keeping up with the system, in keeping the system, but decides, oh, we don't, you know, the people don't have economics, they don't have anything else. Let us just piss them off even more by now taking away the social thing that does not cost us the billionaires anything. Normally, these people like to give us the things that don't cost them any money, but here they let the crazy religious people take. Take what is it hubris? What? Why is it that it needs to be done right now? Why not just choose something else? You know, like give decide to give a corporation more money, like they normally do under the you know outside of the the light. Yeah, I mean, to,、uh, I mean, it's great.、Uh, there's two points I want to, to、uh, mention. Is this is that?、Uh, Uh, maybe may, may just one, but you brought up a great point. Is this how come you know different administration and all that? It's continue to be, you know, the the wronged people continue to be wronged, and the rich get richer and all that. I, as I said many times, this show called the judicial white privilege. The problem is not the word white. The problem is the word privilege. America is not so, so supposed to be governed by some privileged elite, both from either party. 
Okay, these are so America democracy is supposed to be truly governed by the people. The, the, the most important it's called the sovereign people. Like each individual of us is a sovereign entity all by our own being. Right? But as you can see now, again, from both sides, the, from the abortion issue to the mandated uh, vaccination, the government totally took over. Right. It's controlled by that privilege of the few. Let me finish with that. You know, you have used uh, religious uh, activism in the most recent Supreme Court case on the abortion. Right. And a lot of people will say the vaccination, mandated vaccination is by some of the elitist medical experts. Mm. Right. So. So, again, you you can tell us that consistently. I don't know when I'm going to find out since when the United States has become this democracy, we call it, has become totally controlled by the elitist, by the privileged one. You know, I'll give example. If we ever go to a war, I would say, no, no, we're not going to have a president to decide that. We're going to have a national referendum if right. we ever get into the war, right? You know, so why not? What's wrong we did to the Constitution or to, to the country if we say all wars that involving U.S. involvement, including sending weapons, has to go through a national referendum? Right. And these people, the, the again, the judges, they never call anything for anything like that they never say that a war is unconstitutional and i understand that it's because money there but here i don't see money going from one pocket to another pocket this is just a thing that just pisses off americans and it just pisses off americans for free i don't understand why at a point when the american project is so unbalanced that these people who are you know, who are who have very much skin in the game decide this is when we just gracious just piss off Americans. Is it is it just is it maybe that it's just a, a a symptom of where we're at, you know, the state of America that there's just this is a distraction from another big thing? I uh, go so go ahead, Martin. Go ahead. Uh uh, this is just uh, a, a pretty much a view from Europe, at least, uh, what we see over the U.S. What we have seen here from outside is that U.S. has been, the, the religious people in U.S. have been very good at uni- uh, unifying and using their vote, while the pop. Uh, like people in general in U.S. are really terrible at at using their vote, and especially the left. They're so sporadic I- when, uh, when it comes to the showing up for uh, for election days mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. that they don't have the same power. Even though the religious are not like the super religious are not a big portion of the country, they are a significant portion of the country, but they're not the biggest portion of the country. But they're really good at unifying when it comes to how to how they're going to use their vote. Yes, I agree. Sure, Lance, go ahead. I will respond to Martin. Uh, go ahead, Lance. Oh, okay. Well, piggybacking on what he said, two quick things. One is that 
the Democrats. You know, sometimes an idea or a, 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 there's something in the DNA of a party, okay, that transcends ideology entirely. So, as we know your history a little bit, Democrats always had a three to one margin in terms of registration nationally. Okay, so there was three times as many Democrats as Republicans. Republicans were still a successful national party. They won presidential elections exclusively in the post-Civil War time. They dominated, but they never could really control Congress hardly. That was the Democrats, and that's kind of what we had. The, 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 the local and, and congressional districts were all 19, uh, 54 to 94, uninterrupted Democrat control. So what happened is, since they were invented, the Republican Party, to succeed at all had to be a big coalition or, you know, they had to get everybody that was on their side because they had one third as many people. They had to unify to win. And they did. And that's in their DNA now. That's why they could have the wacko QAnon and the, the ones that are never Trumpers left. But they'll, 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 they'll figure out a way to unify. Now, the Democrats, mm-hmm. quick point, right? Now, listen, in the 60s, yeah. when we really didn't have, okay, the revolution never happened, but we passed a lot of liberal legislation. Here's why. I'll be brief. Right. You had the Southern racist Democrats, solid South Democrats. You had the coastal elites, then as now, New York, Boston, San Francisco, L.A. And you had the upper Midwest, you know, all over the country, but especially they're concentrated of working class Democrat union. So you do you think that the people were saying then, oh, I don't know, I'm an upper middle class, uh, you know, guy that I can tolerate the Southern, but boy, those coastal elites, I'm voting against that bill or the coastal elites say we're not going to pass this or that uh, because we oh I don't know, we can't we can't we can't can't agree we can't we can't we can't be on the same side of an issue as those as those southern racists no that's what the democratic party always was now they don't have that now it's 40 40 with 20 percent independent you got a 50 50 split of registration okay now you don't have that mm-hmm. and yet they still as if they could be the split left we could have a million points of view and uh-oh you, you're okay on 28 out of 30 and this one's oh no not good enough i call it the ivory snow problem they used to have an ad that said 90 and 44 100 pure the republicans don't do that yeah if you're a republican you're willing to vote for us we don't care because we're the coalition party we always have that but now that it's 50 50 and they still show the same unity that the democrats haven't figured out to get rid of that dna now that's why republicans are winning everything because they're unified everywhere local national and in between mm-hmm. and the democrats have lost that and local and, and state you know and here's the other thing about the court i'll just make this very very brief why are these guys in robes? You want? I, I think an FDR and Abraham Lincoln are two of my favorite presidents, like most people. Okay, they abuse. Lance, you are breaking power up. of the presidency. Lincoln took away. He by executive order yeah, freed okay. the slave. Okay, I'll be uh, very brief, Peter. Right. So the last no, no, point no, no, is yeah. this idea. Yeah, the idea of uh, of the court and. Uh, Oh, Lincoln. Yeah. Lincoln expanded the court. He usurped the power of the presidency. He, he eliminated habeas corpus to get put people in jail for not go, uh, fighting in the war deserters and all this. Stuff. He okay. took away habeas right. so corpus. Basically, temporarily, okay. Lincoln did. He so, abused the power of the presidency oh, more oh. than anyone up to his time. FDR, one quick point. FDR, FDR supposedly lost the battle of packing the court. FDR won. So FDR and Abraham Lincoln did good stuff for the people by threatening to pack the court. Until we get past this idea that these men in robes on yeah, high are know. some kind of fancy yeah, shit. I know, Les, exactly, get rid of them. You know, I don't mean to cut you short. Is that you are so correct that uh, uh, what what uh, FDR did to the court and uh, what Lincoln did to the court is, uh, I would say, 
genius. Okay, it's not right under the constitution, but it's so genius. You're correct. But I want to go back to what Martin said earlier. So, so uh, 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 by the way, the electoral uh, politics that Lance talk about, I'm a total lay person. I'm not involved in the politics. I have never been a Democrat and I have never been a Republican, despite the fact I've been a U.S. citizen for almost over 20 years. So I want to go back to Martin uh, said about the uh, a handful of religious uh, activists can change the course. You know, basically it's true. The reversal of a Roe v. Wade impact at least half of the nation, right? And just by a handful of people. This is a very similar to the situation before America's Civil War. You not a lot of people own slaves, okay? It's only you know you know. I would not use the word a handful, but they are a very limited number of slave owners. But they were able to get the uh, Congress to pass the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. And they were able to influence the court to the extent that the court upheld the, 18, uh, the uh, slave, Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. And that law is in effect eight, until the Civil War. In my book, based on my analysis, uh, I'm going to do a very famous case called uh, uh, Booth versus Abelman. I consider that case is the worst case in the entire history of the court. Because that case is worse than Dred Scott case. That case is the decision by the U.S. Supreme Court is one of the reasons why America has a civil war. I literally talked to a person who belongs to the, this group called the, the Sons of a Confederate Soldiers. This group is probably sometimes considered a uh, white supremacist group. But I talked to this guy. I explained to him how come the Civil War uh, have to get going. And he's speechless. So, uh, so going back to what uh, Martin says, is, it's true. Even today, a handful of activists uh, for religion, for political reason, for whatever reason, can influence such a big decision that impacts so many people. It's unbelievable. Going back to what Len said, because this coming July 4th, I have not decided yet. I really want to do an episode for the July 4th to call for, I call it, second independence revolution of the America. Calling for fundamental reform of our judicial system, fundamental. And I mean, I will call it a civil, bloodless, nonviolent revolution so that the people, we the people, can take back the power. Okay, so, so to, to prevent what Martin's saying, a handful of religious activists or some other sort of activists can control the outcome of a such a big decision. So I hope I answer your question. Now, uh, how about we uh, let's make a Rudy? You want to make last comment, and we'll we'll call yeah. it a day. I, I want to ask you. So Chris Hedges speaks a lot about this: the mix of the religious uh, fundamentalists and you know the powerful economically, um, uh, politically. And I was wondering, do you guys, Martin, Peter, do you guys uh, know like? Um, Chris Hedges' argument, and to what extent, because to what extent do you, does it really matter 
whether the the politically you know powerful are sort of the egg or the chicken or if it's the fundamentalists that are the head or the chicken like if you look at the israeli politics i'm not sure some of a lot of it is like just cynical just opportunism money and stuff but as you guys do say like there is a decent amount of people here that is powerful um you know and i don't know if they're powerful because people believe in their shit or if it's be they're powerful because of the money but either way there is a powerful group there's there are powerful religious groups here that have investment in israel that is outside of just money things and these the powerful politically economically and religiously um work together um in in these things where their goals align you know but and but i'm just not i'm not sure which one feeds the other which one is the symptom you know because um and i think it was martin that uh, touched on it in another episode somebody was mentioning how the radios are owned by the the religious right how is it that the religious right um came upon all of the radios like is that one of those where the the you know the government sort of accepted tolerated it tolerated that the religious right um you know because they they do get tithes and all of this shit they do have like an ability to get money is it that they got money and then you know they decided to buy the the radio stations and then the people said and then the government said okay or is it that the government thought you know these guys have been proven everywhere to be you know winners and they back us up in the case of like uh, the mujahideens and all these uh fund you know in in yes so really to basically again i want to reframe my comments to uh on uh, any foreign affairs uh and because there's so many hot spot uh uh in the world that uh, uh i'm not going to solve the problem period right i truly believe when america become true to itself and to be a peaceful and just society then a lot of the problem in the other parts of the world will disappear this is my true belief going you know, back to you know chris has so, uh, yeah, yes yeah i i do i i'll respond to that so basically chris hedge is a economic professor his area is the in the political economy right so i agree with a lot of what he's saying but uh, you're thinking of richard wall I'm sorry. Chris Hedges is not an economist. Yeah, yeah, he's an economist. He's not a. As you see, I'm doing looking at the law itself, right? So because no, I want Chris to emphasize Hedges, this, go ahead. Chris Hedges is not a partner economist. Richard Wolf is. Okay, okay, maybe yes, I got it wrong. So, I, so I, I, okay, uh, so I want to uh, go back. What I'm trying to say is that the. Uh, the so-called religious rights I, you could say anything else there could be some uh, progressive extremist that have an influence on the court maybe not, not the us supreme court but the state court you never know you know because we have a state uh, sovereignty a state jurisdiction and a, and the federal jurisdiction right my thing is this the court is the last gatekeeper You can have a Ku Klux Klan or BLM going out there, say killing all the white people, killing all the black people, whatever they want to say. No matter how many radio stations they have, how many uh, op-ed they can publish in New York Times or anywhere else, it doesn't matter if the case comes to the court. The court is the last gatekeeper. The courts have to follow the law by the letter. 
saying that. And the court, the, the, in the Constitution, there's no such thing called the Anglo-Saxon principle. How come the court's ruling in the insular cases use the word Anglo-Saxon principle? What do you get it from? That's my problem, right? So going back to all these other leftist theorists and know that, I've, you know, as I introduced myself, I'm a serial critical theorist. I criticize these theorists, their theory, quite a bit, okay? My problem with Chris Hatch, Richard Wolf, by the way, I must confess first, I'm not an expert. I'm not expert, like I told Lance earlier, I'm not expert in the election politics and all that. I have never been belongs to any political party. Okay. The key is this. All the leftists, including the global south, you see one thing and they miss a big time. They keep praising China and it's China's achievement. Being from China, I have no jealousy towards the, chi- uh, the achievement in China. But all these leftist theorists, they forget about the fact that the lasted almost decades is that when the Chinese won its independence from the colonial powers from Europe and America, they, the Chinese leader, Mao specifically, had no F clue about how to build an economy, period. As a matter of fact, the proof is in the number. 30 million people starved to death. Okay, where is Chris Hedge? Where is Richard Wolf? Did they ever point it out? So basically, for all the leftists today, you can say whatever you want. But I can tell you this. Even if the left get the power of the government, they are not going to be able to make this country better because I don't see any thoughts a concrete, constructive thought of how to build our economy that are equitable to all. Could I repeat? They are just being on the critical. Uh, sorry. So let me. So basically, what I'm saying is that again, I don't want to be overly critical. I, of course, praise their criticism, just like a uh, Marxism. Marxism has its uh, valid points in criticizing the evil aspect of a capitalism, but the Marxism never bring up how the uh, a South American countries should build up their economy. He never taught how Chinese should build up their Chinese economy. The Chinese government literally is going through travesty, mistakes, tragedy, whatever you want to call it, crimes, to get to the point today. Okay, so go ahead, Martin. Yeah. Uh, first of all, yeah. yeah, yeah. So go ahead. One at a time. Go ahead. Okay. First of all, Richard. Wolf and Chris Hedges, right? Now I'll just make one, two quick points on them. Chris Hedges, as far as I'm concerned, is the most brilliant, like uh, a thinker about weaving history and culture and society, you know, entertainment and policy into where we are and why we're a failed state. Okay, mm-hmm. assuming. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris Hedges, the only place he could get a show was uh, RT, right? Russian mm-hmm. Russian TV. Yeah. He said, "I know they're using me as a tool. I know they're using me." Because they, I'm going to criticize the state. He said, guess what's funny when I got canceled by the West? We only did one show about Russia, and it was critical of Putin. He did one <laughs> show about Russia. Okay? Uh-huh. One. Mm-hmm. Because all he did mm-hmm. was he got people that wrote books, mostly, like afterwards on PBS. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it was like today's mm-hmm. topic is whatever the person wrote a book about. Mm-hmm. He chose what books. 
He only had one person that ever yeah, had a Russian, can you, can you guys, and it was an anti-Russian. Okay, so that's, that's, let me finish. Can you talk that's, about that's that's, that's, that's pretentious? May I? No, no, no. One more time, Rudy. One more time. I just want to re redirect you. He wrote a book specifically about basically this corporate coup that has a big religious hand in it. That's what I'm trying to figure out because we were just talking about, Martin was talking about how a small group of religious fanatics can take over a whole country. And Chris Hedges wrote yeah, about Chris that. Yeah, Chris Hedges so wrote a book about that. What do you guys think American about what he has written and how does it fit in here? Well, so uh, hello? sorry, go on. Let, so me? let let Martin let Martin speak a little bit. Yes, let let Martin wait, speak. Wait, can, can I, can, wait, I, I have can I have thirty more seconds to make the other part of the point, please? Okay, sure, sure, Les. Okay, the other point about uh, Richard Wolf. First of all, he does a couple. He does episodes every once in a while. What Marx got wrong. You know, his nobody could predict. That's why originalism is such a joke. You can't predict two hundred uh -huh. years in the future. So what Marx yeah. got wrong, why it needs to evolve, etc. That's him. You know what else okay. he said? He said, "Listen, uh -huh. please." He said that the founders, right? He said the founders weren't evil. They wanted a good system. They wanted a system where everybody did good. Eventually, they didn't want what we have now. So he, Richard Wolff, the Marxist, does not think that the founders were evil. He says they did their best at the time. They did their best with what they had, and now it failed. That's why we have to dismantle capitalism, not because of 1619 or the founders were evil. No, uh -huh. they just fucked up. They were wrong. That's all he meant. He never says they're evil. So you need to really reread thoroughly those two guys, man. You're going to find a lot to agree with. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I, again, I already confessed I did not uh, follow their work as closely as I should have. And uh, but uh, but but go ahead. So Martin, please, uh, let's offer your let's hear your thoughts. Well, uh, uh, you asked earlier on, actually. Uh, well, you. Pretty much mentioned that what kind of background I have and if it was in law school or uh, stuffing but I, I actually have a background in international politics and political philosophy and that's okay. why I know so much about this kind of things and I have to disagree with you on several points uh, some of them factually uh, China was never a never a colony and uh, and one of the reasons Mao actually uh, didn't accept uh, economy because it's a human construct and he recognized it as a human construct and therefore in his mind he believed that since it's a human construct we decide how to uh, make it work and uh, unfortunately when you live in a world where there's 190 other countries who are actually mm -hmm. follow that construct it is going to be difficult to uh, live outside that <laughs> concept. Uh, uh, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. So I appreciate it. Again, I I welcome all the criticism and the disagreement because, uh, uh, you know, you, go ahead, Martin. I don't mean to cut you short. Go ahead. No, uh, it's just that, and when, uh, as Lance and Rudy mentioned, if you actually want to see uh, a good economical uh, construct that actually works for all society and is not screw, uh, skewed towards the rich, uh, then there are so many, mm -hmm. so many books I can recommend and so many uh, philosophers mm -hmm. and writers that go way back over 100 years. Uh, that uh, Grimchi mm -hmm. is one of them. Uh, I, uh, he's an Italian philosopher. Mm -hmm. I will definitely recommend you to actually look into him. So, oh, okay, but, got it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. no, so let, let, let me do this because uh, we've been uh, two hours that's in, um, unbelievable uh, again you're all welcome to come back 
Uh, I want to close today by saying this, uh, just pretty much answer all what you just said uh, also, is that one of the reasons I did not get into the international politics and the political economy is this. The body of the law itself, all the decisions made by U.S. Supreme Court, is an ocean of material for me to go by. And uh, it will not do justice for me and to others to 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 digress to other areas. And uh, so this is one thing. And second is to uh, uh, to somewhat respond to what Lance said. In the episode that I'm going to do, uh, I called it uh, the unholy union of a judicial white privilege. I forgot the exact name. Basically, I'm going to talk about, I'll be very critical of a Justice Sotomayor. Justice Sotomayor is a leftist justice. I will show is that how horrible these days the the left is to do it to themselves. And because whatever you decide, even you are concurring or dissenting, you must follow the facts. You must follow the law, both. You cannot be dishonest about what actually happened because uh, one wrong does not correct another wrong. You cannot use an unjust decision to correct another unjust decision. So I want to emphasize that. That's why I'm so solely focused on what the court has said by their own words. And that's what happened. So, so, so with that said, again, I thank everyone who gave us such a lovely and lively discussion. And I look forward, you know, to have you on the call again next week. All right. Have a great weekend and thank you all. And uh, see you next time. Bye bye.